Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Again, I want to say uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Y'all enjoying the new seats? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, Soon we'll, uh, that's, uh, hopefully that's not the biggest amen I get all service, but hey, we've been waiting a while, right? And uh, so there are still some uh, of the older chairs in the back that will be replaced with another batch of these chairs that are coming soon. But a lot of you helped to get those unloaded and get those uh, arranged in here this weekend. It was a lot of work, and I appreciate that. Thank you all so much. And, um, but it's Mother's Day. Uh, oh, I also wanted to say uh, it's good to be back with you this morning. So we missed you all last week. You were in good hands with Brother Mike Reed. Uh, brought a great message. Uh, but we, it's good to be back. We had a great trip uh, down to Mexico, and appreciate you praying for that trip, uh, praying for the team. Uh, it was an encouraging trip. A lot of really important connections were made uh, with believers, with the church uh, in Ohitlan, the area where the Knights and us uh, with the Knights are seeking to uh, take the gospel and make disciples. And uh, pray for the Knights now. Garrett and Brittany Knight is there back, uh, and they'll begin to strategize and take a lot of the information that they were able to gather on that trip and uh, begin to plan trips that you'll be able to go on. So we look forward to sharing that in the months to come. So make plans to go down to Mexico. You'll have a lot of fun. And uh, who knows uh, what kind of adventure you will find yourself on down in Mexico. Uh, If you're like our team, one day you will just all of a sudden find yourself with a bunch of uh, villagers rolling a dead cow down a hill. True story. I'll share that at a later time. All right. Knights, we'll be back. next week to give a report and give you some ways that we can pray for them moving forward uh, with the mission going on down in Mexico. But again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I I think the hardest job on the planet has got to go to moms. I mean, all that moms do, uh, I don't know how you do what you do, but we appreciate all that you do. The ability that you got to nurture, to love like you do. You're thinking about your mom right now and all she's done for you. It's a day to think about that. Um, And so... Uh, We just want to say thank you. Uh, God's gifted mothers in a very unique way, again, with intuition, with just the mind that God's given ladies, that that he's given you ways to think uh, that are unlike and not like the ways men think, and that's that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing that we appreciate. Some of you are like, I can't figure out the way my wife thinks. I can't figure out the way her brain operates. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. I promise. That's a good thing she thinks that way. Don't be like the guy who tried to figure out uh, that whole thing, uh, who was walking down a, a beach in California, and uh, he came upon a, a, a lamp, and he picked it up and rubbed the lamp, and a genie came out, and the genie was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is the fourth time this month somebody has rubbed this lamp. I'm tired of giving out wishes. I'm not going to give you three. Listen, uh, I'm on a time crunch. I'll give you one. And the guy was like, all right, well, let me think. We're in California. I, he goes, I've always wanted to visit Hawaii, but I'm like scared of flying, and um, you know, so could you maybe just build a, a bridge to Hawaii for me? And the genie's like, listen, I'm a genie, but come on, the logistics in that, the engineering in that, really, I, I can't do that for you. You're going to need to pick another wish. And so the man says, okay, I've got it. He goes, I've been dating for years. And the women that I date, he goes, they all say that I don't care. They all say that I'm insensitive and I cannot figure them out. So Jeannie, here's my wish. I wish that I could fully understand women. I wish I could know exactly how they feel and exactly what they're thinking. And then Jeannie looked at him and said, you want that bridge to be two lanes or four lanes? So in all seriousness, we may, we may not understand it, right? But I'm telling you, with my wife, to watch the way she mothers our kids uh, and the blessing she is to us, the more I greatly appreciate the mind that God's given her. The intuition, the awareness, the care. She notices things that I don't pick up on. 
And uh, today, moms, we salute you, we honor you, uh, we thank you for all that you do. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And so uh, we're going to get into the Word this morning. I also want to say thank you uh, to a person who built this pulpit for us. All right, Michael and Amanda Larry built us a new pulpit for in here. Thank you, brother. He put a lot of care and time into this, and I appreciate him. Give him a hand. Yes, that's great. So uh, for the message today, um, I'm not going to preach uh, what you might call a traditional or typical uh, Mother's Day sermon, right? Five ways to be a godly mom. Nothing wrong with that. Occasionally we will have messages like that on a Mother's Day or a Father's Day. But this morning I simply want to take a look at one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture. A small book uh, that is covered with some of the richest threads of the gospel in all the Bible. And it's a small book, but it's a powerful book. And it's truths and gospel truths that shine primarily through and predominantly through a cast of characters that are female. And so, you know, I guess you could say that today's not Mother's Day, it's Ladies' Day, all right? So we're going to learn uh, from these ladies that God uses in a powerful way to communicate powerful truths about who He is, His activity in this world, the gospel, His love, His grace, His mercy. And I think it's something that's going to encourage you today. I hope it, I hope it will. So stand with your Bibles open. In honor and reverence for the reading of God's word, I'll begin to read in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Uh, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his son, two sons, were uh, Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Uh, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not Oprah, and lived there for about 10 years, or about 10 years. And both uh, Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two husbands, and, or to, without her two sons, sorry, yeah, two sons and her husband. And then verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went out on the way to return to the land of Judah. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. I pray that you would teach us through your word this morning, God. You've told us that uh, the grass around us withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. So, Lord, I pray that you'd wash us in your word as we walk through it this morning. Lord, I pray that you convict us by it, change us through it. And, Father, I pray that you consume our hearts with a passion for, with a, passion for a truth within it. And, Lord, I pray that uh, as a result of us being in your word today, you conform us more to the image of your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the reason we're in Ruth today is, one, as I mentioned a moment ago... Uh, you know, it's fitting considering that Mother's Day is a day we celebrate women. This is a story about women. But it also communicates foundational truths, powerful truths. I mean, th there's gospel gold in this book about the gospel. Truths about the gospel. Foundational gospel truths that are essential to you being the mom that God's calling you to be. Not just the mom that He's calling you to be. The spouse, the neighbor, the employee, the friend. Uh, the, really the disciple that God's calling you to be as you learn and seek to walk through a dark world in a way that honors him. And what I love about Ruth is it's a, it's a story that's packed full of truths for all of us. It's not just for the moms here today. This is applicable for every person here today. 
anybody, male, female, married, single, young, old, there are truths here for you. And this is a book we regularly, regularly need to come back to because it is a, it's a book that just powerfully communicates the faithfulness of God. As we look in this book, we're going to see, it reminds us as we look at how God faithfully is working in and keeping his promises in the lives of these real people who were broken people, who are walking through a broken world, is the very same God that you serve today if you're a Christian. He is no less faithful today than he was then. That's why we need to go back and read these books. This is why we need to go back and, and sit in these stories. He's no less committed to keeping his promises today than he is to keeping his promises and as he's kept his promise in this story we're going to read. So, you know, when we think about brokenness and we think about fallenness, we think about uh, the evil of this world and the sin of this world and just how messed up it is. Uh, maybe when we talk about brokenness and move into this this morning, there's some of that in your life that's connected to motherhood. Maybe there's some of you this morning that, see, Mother's Day for you is a reminder of someone that you're not able to text. It's a reminder of someone that you're not able to call. It's a reminder of somebody that's not going to be texting you today. Or it's a, it's a reminder for some of you, if we just got real, for some of you, it's a reminder of Mother's Day, a glaring reminder of something you so desire to be but can't, and you don't know why. Maybe it's a... You know, a matter of some of you just feeling the stress of motherhood, the stressful days, the stressful nights. Maybe it's some of you that broken is connected to motherhood in a way that you're grieving the loss of a child. It should never happen, but it did. Or maybe today you're grieving the loss of, of a mom. You know, again, it's, it, it, could, it could be something beyond that. It just doesn't have to be something connected to motherhood today. Whatever it is, are, are you feeling broken? Are you feeling the brokenness of the world? Is life feeling difficult for you in a certain way today? And if so, I want you to lean in and be encouraged by this because you're going to find hope in the story. And if not, I want you to take this and store it away, break glass in case of emergency, because coming down the pipe is a time you'll need a message like this. So what we find here and what these ladies are going to show us as to how we can find some hope in the brokenness of this world. Well, first we're going to learn some things about living life in a broken world. So it gets dark here for a second before daybreak. All right, so we see a lot of brokenness here. What it looks like to live life in a broken world. Talk about some problems. That's, that's the first point this morning, living life in a broken world. I mean, look at those first five verses. It's problem after problem after problem, right? It reminds me of like the, that old uh, cartoon where you have, you know, the guy turning this way or it's like three stooges and he steps and the loose board smacks him in the face on this side and he steps this way and the loose board smacks him in the face on this side and he can't catch a break. In fact, there's like comedies that are all, all built on that premise, right? Nothing goes right. We like movies like that. They make us laugh. They entertain us. And yet right here, there's nothing funny about what's happening in the life of this real person named Naomi. In these first five verses, did you see that as we read through it? It's gut-wrenching problem after a gut-wrenching problem. It's a dark chapter. In fact, we see four kind of problematic things at work right here in this story that we, need to, that we need to look at in order to understand the message within. All right, number one is this. First, we see a problem with the nation. All right, we see the nation was living in sin. Immorality was running rampant at this time. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at how the author begins. How does he begin right there in verse 1? In the days of the judges. 
in the days of the judges. This was a, a morally dark season in the life of Israel, in the lives of God's people. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a scholar in understanding the book of Judges to understand what was wrong. Just turn back one page and read the very last verse of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? A modern way that we would say this is everyone lived their own truth. Does that sound familiar? It should. See, history has a way of repeating itself. And their problem then is our problem in our world today. And the problem is a departure from truth. A lot of people have the mindset today, and it's a growing mindset. And again, you know, history has a way of, of being on repeat. So this has happened if you just study history uh, through the last uh, several dozens of centuries. But right now you see a growing idea that there's no absolute truth. There's no such thing as real concrete truth. And that is a position that the deeper you walk down that path that leads to very immoral and very irrational places. Right? It, it'll take you to places where things sound something like, hey, you, you discover your truth and I'll discover my truth. You don't call what I think is true wrong and I won't call what you think is wrong. Wrong or right. And it may, if you want to identify as whatever you want to identify, that's okay. You want to identify as a polka dotted miniature giraffe and that's who you want to be and that's your truth on the inside. Who am I to tell you you're not a miniature giraffe? It's hard to believe that, and I'm, you know, um, being a little facetious there, but at the same time, there's truth within that. It's, it's hard to believe we've arrived where we've believed or where, where we've arrived. And the source of the problem is a departure from truth. Truth that's absolute, truth that exists, truth that's, that's knowable. And when you depart from absolute truth, it will take a culture to a place where the lines of truth become blurred and the conscience becomes so seared that unbelievable things happen that future generations look back on and go, how could that have happened? For example, millions of people would become angry about a ruling that would allow states to ban the killing of unborn life. Yeah, I'm going to say that this morning because I have convictions about it. To think that people are mad about the efforts to ban what they would call safe methods to abort babies. Is it, can, you, can you have a safe method to kill someone? And I want to be very, you can feel it, man. It just got real in here. Everybody's like, whoa. But I want to say something. If you're somebody who's had an abortion, I've thought about this all week. Because there's some of you in this room who've had an abortion. I don't know what you I don't know what you what you've experienced. I didn't experience that, but I want you to know this that the same blood that covers the abundance of sins, that completely forgives any sin found in any person's life in this room can cover that sin. And we have a wonder hey, we have a wonderful ministry that can help lead you down a path of healing once you understand the weight of the decision that was made there. But make no mistake, that abortion was the result of relativism in a culture seeping into one's heart, blurring the lines of what is true and what is false. And I unapologetically say this morning that, that the life of a baby, their body inside of a woman's body, inside of that mom's body, is not that mom's body. That is a life that was formed by the very hands of our Creator God formed and fashioned them together. They have value. They have purpose. And we as Christians, agents 
of God, agents of justice, hey, we have a responsibility to speak up for them and to protect life. And so I don't get political a whole lot, but I want you to know I unapologetically say I hope that ruling stands. That's just one example of moral decay that's around us. All right, But the moral decay in culture, that's one example of many things I could go down a list of this morning. It's not anything new. And Israel itself wasn't immune from it. And so in the midst, think about it, in the midst of this immoral season of their life, the time of the judges, what does the camera of Scripture do? It swoops down and it focuses in on this seemingly insignificant family. Why? It's a real family. And we're going to see real people who are people with air in their lungs and a heart beating in their chest, just like us, experience the grace of God, the providence of God, And they're going to experience something that we can experience today if we know Christ, that He is sovereign, that He is working, that He's always in control, and that His grace is alive. So number one, the nation was in sin. Number two, because of their sin, the nation was being judged through a famine. So often the Bible shows us that uh, the, the judgment for God's people when they would go to idolatry was famine. And there's times where that wasn't the case, but this is certainly a time where that was the case. The nation's being disciplined. So there's no food, there's no resources. Think about it. In in Bethlehem, which is called the town of bread, there's no bread. It's a sad sight. Again, because they've turned to idolatry and are being judged and they're hungry. Third problematic thing we see here is an unwise decision that's being made. So again, you have this family living in Bethlehem, this family that the camera zooms in on. And you have Elimelech, who's the dad. You have Naomi, who's the mom. They have two sons. And what do they decide to do? Hey, there's no, uh, there's no food in Bethlehem. At first, it looks pragmatic. It looks like a good decision to make. Hey, let's pull ourselves about the bootstraps. Hey, there's no food here. Hey, over in Moab, we've heard that there's some food over on the shelves in the Winn-Dixie's of Moab. Let's go over there. There's some job opportunities. So maybe Elimelech gets the family together and says, hey, this would be a better decision for us. Hey, this would be better opportunity for us. And so he makes the decision to get up, saddle up. They gallop out with their heads held high. Hey, they're going to go make something of themselves. Seems commendable, especially does America. Hey, it's good to, to work. It's good to go and do something with your life. We live in a country where you're free to do that. that. That seems commendable until you realize in Deuteronomy 30 that Moses said, hey, when the judgment of God does fall when you break covenant, here's what you do. You don't leave the land of promise. You don't leave the land where he, he longs to uh, allow it to flow with milk and honey and to bless your lives and to provide for you. You don't leave that land. What you do is you get down on your knees and you pray and you repent and you lead others to do the same. And God says, when you do that through Moses, I will restore my people. I will restore my land. But instead of staying, instead of repenting, instead of appointing others to do the same, they leave and they settle down in Moab. They settle down in a rival nation, an adulterous nation, a pagan nation that's so pagan. God's pronounced a curse on them, a curse on this nation. It's where for 400 years, a Moabite wouldn't be allowed to come into the assembly of God. That's where they go and settle down. Sons marry Moabite women. Some would call their decision to go to Moab pragmatic. But when we look at Scripture, we see that it's an unwise decision, which leads to a fourth problem. And this is where we see some personal problems that afflict this lady's life. Naomi, her life completely falls apart. We read it all there in those first verses. Her husband dies. After 10 years, her sons die. It's grief upon grief. It's sorrow upon sorrow. There's only one worse place to be than at the funeral of your spouse, and that's at a funeral of your child. And she's had two of them die. It's a terrible place to be. 
And we got to get through the darkness before the day breaks. So hang with me for a second. But you know what the first part of Ruth shows us? It shows us that life can completely fall apart and fall off the rails and come collapsing down on you in five verses. It can happen like that. Listen, tonight it can all go south. Five verses, her world, her life comes crumbling down and she feels despair. This is what's difficult. She feels an inability to do anything about it. Life's falling apart and she doesn't know how to put it back together. Hey, I would doubt that there's anybody here who has has felt the brokenness of life at this level right here, at this kind of crushing level. But there are some of you here this morning, today, right now, as I'm talking, there you sit and you definitely feel the shards of this broken world piercing through in your life in different ways. Sometimes it can feel hopeless. You can feel like you have an inability to do anything. Maybe it's related to motherhood. Maybe it's, maybe it's the pain of not being able to have kids. Maybe it's the pain of having a child far from God. You prayed for. You brought him to church. You poured the gospel into him. And everything you've led him to do, they've run off to Moab. But maybe it's just the pain and the stress of being a mom. And there are other ways beyond mother, all kinds of different ways, different people maybe are experiencing that brokenness this morning. And here's my question. Are you bitter this morning? If you're honest, is there a little bit of bitterness in your heart? Confusion? Are you mad at the world? Are you upset? Are you on the brink of despair? And the question is this, when that happens, and it will happen, when life comes crashing down, what do you do? Where do you find hope in a world that is dark like the world we walk through? You know what you do? You keep reading. You keep reading this story. We keep looking into the pages of Scripture at stories like this one and remember that it's not just some things we're learning here about living life in a broken world, but the hope of living life in this broken world as a Christian within the sovereign, good, strong hands of God. That's what they show us. And if you're in God's hands, what you're about to see, you're in a good place. You're in a place where you never have to lose hope. Number two, living life in the sovereign hands of a good and powerful God. So this story uh, helps us ultimately understand, listen, there's not a storm of this life that God cannot sustain you through. I, I, I just want to, to drill in again. I'm talking to a family this morning that feels like they're hanging on by a thread. I'm talking to someone who's in a marriage, things have collapsed. I'm talking to a person who feels so crushed by the brokenness of this world, you convinced yourself, you're not sure when, but you've convinced yourself that the only, that the only solution is going to be for you to either harm yourself or take your life. I'm talking to the person who's without hope this morning. And I want you to look at this lady, this Israelite lady from thousands of years ago named Naomi, who had the rug of life ripped out from underneath her and, and life came crushing down on top of her. Hey, and as she moves forward, what you're going to see, if there's hope for Naomi, there's hope for you. But what on earth can sustain a person like Naomi? Right? As we look at the whole story, really, here's the big picture of what we see. How can somebody keep on keeping on? How can you get your heart filled up with hope this morning? Really, it boils down to this, to having a heart that never stops believing that as bad as it gets, God is always good. That as bad as it gets, God is ever faithful. That as bad as it gets, God will always provide and God's in complete control. What I want you to see this morning is that this story, it's a microcosm, a lower story, the meta narrative of Scripture that shows you that God is a God who provides. This is showing us the provision 
provision and the sovereignty of a powerful God who's good. And it's all unfolding. We see it in this story. This is all unfolding. The way it's going to unfold is you'll see it kind of just all fall into place in just a moment. That's not just by happen chance. This is not just a random series of events that just happens to bring Ruth into the story that just happens to end up being the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. God is at work here. God is at work in every detour. God is at work through every storm cloud that rolls in. This is a result of a sovereign, gracious, good God who works even when things feel completely broken. And there's three, three encouraging ways you see His goodness and grace very quickly. His sovereignty and His provision, kind of these lights that are breaking through that can deliver some hope into your life this morning. Number one is this, and it's very simple. We just, I'm just taking it from the text. Number one, He gives bread. You see how that happens? After all of that night, notice how day breaks in verse 6. God gave them food in the promised land. God gave them food. That's a miracle right there, right? It's also a miracle that Naomi heard about it. She's over in Moab. They didn't have like Facebook. They didn't have newspapers. Somehow she finds out about it. She hears that the Lord's given food. And think about the way that God is giving her that message and the way that God is giving this nation food after they've been through a famine, what is that? That's evidence that he has not forgotten his people. He has not forgotten to be gracious. He's not forgotten to be good. He's not forgotten to provide for his people. The Lord here is visiting his people. And it's a reminder about God's providence. Hey, you need to be reminded of God's providence by the simple things in life that we often take for granted. That's what this is showing us. Hey, it doesn't matter how broken things are in, this, in your life this morning, there are blessings that you can count. Blessings that you can count that can help you draw the conclusion once again that God hasn't forgotten you. Even something as simple as bread. Something as simple as food. Don't take it for granted. Some of y'all are going to take your mom, take your wife, y'all are going to go have lunch, let her pick. That's good. Praying my wife picks Waffle House, if you're asking. The odds are not in my favor. One in a million. You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. When you sit there and you eat that food, hey, don't take that for granted. That's a blessing. Not everybody in the world gets to experience that this afternoon. I heard a Bible teacher this week say, when you roll your trash cans down to the end of the driveway, he said, that's an opportunity to have a praise and worship service. In impoverished areas of the world, they don't have a whole lot of trash. He said, so get down to the end of your driveway. Have your little worship service. Dance around a little bit. Raise your hands and sing. Don't do it too much, right? They have the adverse effect that you're trying to have in your cul-de-sac of reaching your neighbors for Christ. And Billy's out there dancing around the trash can again. It's just a simple, it's a simple reminder. God hasn't forgotten you. He's provided for you. Number two, God gives faith. Look at verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. They said to her, no, we will, we will uh, return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet uh, sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have husbands. If I should say I have hope, 
Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying until then? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You feel that bitterness right there? In this story, you have two types of faith. You've got Naomi right here, who's, who's got faith, but it's struggling faith. I do believe it's faith, though. Right? And some of you are kind of Naomi types in your faith. I'm talking to believers this morning in your walk with God. Like, you love God. You've had seasons of great faith. But this season you're walking through is tough. It's confusing. Maybe you're even dealing with some bitterness in your heart. You know what that means? That means you're struggling like Naomi. You've got a character in the Bible you can relate to. You're struggling like Naomi. Question is, is in your struggles, in your darkness, when life comes collapsing down on top of you, where do you turn? The dominant word in this passage is that word return or turn. We saw it two times in those first seven verses. You see it 12 times in the first chapter. It's the Hebrew word shuv, S-H-U-V, shuv. You see it 12 times in this first chapter. It's the, the idea of turning, returning to. Like Scholars like to debate whether or not Naomi is dealing with all of these problems related to the decisions she made along with Elimelech going to Moab. Or is this God's judgment on her life? You know, it could be, but we don't know that for sure. There's not enough evidence to know that. All we do know is that she's been handed, she's been dealt a hand that's very, very difficult. And in the confusion, in the doubts, even in her, 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 her bitterness, she's shooving. She's turning to God. She's turning her attention to the promised land. And as broken as she feels, she's taking steps of faith. She's drawing near to God. It's a struggling faith, but it's faith. You still sense in, the, in those words that she said right there that she still loves God. You still sense that she believes in God. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at the way she's speaking to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. She turns to them and she says, hey, go back. You know, she, she loves them. She's like, you're not going to have a good life coming with me. Go back to Moab. Go back to your home country. You're a foreigner here. You're an enemy here. And you're a woman who doesn't have a husband. Vulnerable in those days to be a woman. And the extra vulnerable to be a widow. Go back to Moab. There's, you're better off there. And so her words, and she, her words express her love for her daughters-in-law, but they also express her love for the Lord in that she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you. That's the Hebrew word hesed. It refers to the loyal, faithful love of God. That's what she's praying over their life. May God give you his hesed, his mercy and his grace and his love may be poured over you. You know what that's showing me about her struggling faith? That she still sees God as powerful, as gracious and capable to pour his love out on sinners. She's just struggling in that moment as to how that's going to be applied to her life. To struggling faith. And it's a struggling faith that all of us at times in our walk deal with. Where our circumstances feel out of our control. Where our feelings and our circumstances shout things about God over our life that we know deep down in our heart are true. Sometimes we let those take root on the surface of our hearts. and Plant bitterness. And you say, what do I do when I'm there? Look at Naomi. Keep shooting. Keep turning to God. Keep drawing close to God. 
She's turning to the promised land. You keep turning your heart to the promises of God. Keep turning your heart to the promises of His Word. Keep turning your heart to the promises, the gospel truths in God's Word. Even in the pain, lift up your eyes. Cast your anxieties on Him. I love that she's honest. It shows you God's shoulders are big enough to handle your questions and your frustration. Go to Him to complain. Go to Him to pour out your heart. And as you shove, what you'll discover once again that he is not against you. He is for you. His mercy and his grace and his love has not run out for you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is working. What you'll discover is even when you didn't see it, when you get there, you'll look back and realize he was working. Soon she is going to see that. That's why this story is important. Soon she is going to walk into Bethlehem in just a moment and she's going to see that every storm cloud along the way was, was orchestrated and put in her life by a sovereign God who's going to do something with her life that's much bigger than her life. And part of all of this happening is to make sure one person rolls up into Bethlehem with her and that's Ruth. Demonstrates another kind of faith and that's saving faith. Verse 14, it says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. She said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return them uh, from, or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord... Do, to me, do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that, she was determined to go, that she was determined to go with her. She didn't say anything else. She said no more. You see two responses there from Naomi's daughters, don't you? You got Orpah. You could add a third kind of faith here. That's no faith. She decides to go the broad way. She decides to go back to Moab. But what do we see Ruth do? We see Ruth experiencing an incredible conversion. We see covenant language that she's using right here. In the Hebrew, there's no verb there. In other words, she's already made up her mind. She's saying, hey, your people are my people. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you die, I'm going to die. You know, it's interesting that this is a quote that's often quoted at, at weddings. Have you heard this quoted at a wedding? Some of you may have quoted. If you really want to be biblical, this really should be shared to your in-laws at your wedding. Probably didn't happen, right? Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. That really is what makes this powerful, right? This is expressing her loyalty to her mother-in-law. But when she says, your people are my people, she's a follower of God. She has experienced conversion. Hey, and this morning, you're either an Orpah or you're a Ruth. You're either going to continue to go the ways of the world and be the king of your own life, Or like Ruth, you can turn your back on the idols of this world and cling to Christ. Who you will find will cling to you and never let go. You get to receive the gift of salvation that's available to you this morning. This ends with us seeing a, a final gift that God is showing us through this story. And it's God giving them not just bread, not faith, but also hope. They walk up into Bethlehem. It's kind of an awkward reunion. Kind of like showing up to the 25-year class reunion and your life's falling apart and you feel like you don't look the same. You feel like your life is a disaster. It's that times a million. She walked, she rode out years before confident, 
with plans, and she's walking in a broken woman, struggling in her faith, just her and this Moabite woman, a foreigner, an enemy of the nation of Israel. She's still, she's still bitter. She's still struggling in her faith. They say, hey, how you doing? Don't call me Naomi. That means sweet. That's what she says there. Hey, call me Mara. That means bitter. And in her mind, she's listening to the circumstances, thinking that God is not for her. Hey, but look at, hey, this is where daybreak comes through. And it starts getting really good. Because look at the last verse in this chapter. It says, the beginning of barley harvest. They arrive at that very moment. At the beginning of barley harvest. That's good news. Because for one, it means that there's food for everybody. Even broken people like them. God's provided for them. But we also see how the barley harvest really blesses them because she whispers to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, hey, there's, there's a man named Boaz who's my distant relative. Why don't you go see if you can glean in his fields and see if he can help us. And, and Boaz blesses them with food. Hey, and a lot of you know that the story gets much better than that. Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz because he's a kinsman redeemer. Kind of picked up where the leveret marriage left off. And he's the one who's able to step into this family and take back Naomi's land and bring restoration to her life. And he's a godly man and he marries Ruth and does just that. And of course, many of you know how this ends. It ends with Ruth and Boaz having a little child, having a baby named Obed. And I love the way that Ruth ends in Ruth 4, where who do you see sitting on the lap of, or who do you see Obed sitting on the lap of at the end of this book? Not Ruth, it's Naomi. And the women in the town, what do they say? They don't say Ruth has a child. They say in in Ruth chapter 4, Naomi has been given a son. Man, what a turn of events. Think about this story. You've got a bitter lady from Moab who is now living in the land of promise with the blessings of God pouring down on her life. What is this? It's a picture of the faithfulness of God. It's an incredible picture that should give you hope this morning. Because God sovereignly was at work in this little family, keeping his promises in their life, pouring out his blessings in their life, using all the storms along the way, the confusing trials along the way to accomplish his purposes, we can know that this is the same God who's ruling over our universe right now, who's watching over the entire world and is carefully watching over your life if you are in Christ. You're a recipient of that same grace. You're a recipient of that same blessing. You're a recipient of those same promises. You say, well, I want in on that. How do I get that? Well, guess what? You just keep following the story. Because Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. Coming from the line of Ruth, this broken Moabite woman, it's this incredible part of the story of redemption. Ruth, Obed, Obed, Jesse. Jesse has David, the the king that Israel needed, but they really needed a greater king. And down through the line of David would come the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who would hang on a cross in your place, taking the judgment you deserve for sin and would raise from the dead. He is our redeemer who has assumed our problems for us. He's the one who died in our place. He is the doorway into a relationship with a God for you to be a recipient of His grace and of His care. You say, well, I want that this morning. Shove. Turn to Him. You know, in fact, that's the application for everybody's life this morning. You say, well, how do I apply this in my life? I'm saved. You shove. You turn to Him. 
You're facing a difficult providence in your life right now. You feel like the Lord's hand is against you. You may have bitterness in your heart. You shove. You turn to Him. You let this story remind you that He's still good, that He's keeping His promises, that He's working. He's working. And you're going to get pieces of that blessing in this life, but you're going to get it all in the next. Shuv. To those of you who are heartbroken by not being able to have a baby, hey, I do not understand how you feel. I can't. But I can turn you over to a sovereign God who does. Shuv. To the lady feeling inadequate as a mother this morning, shuv. Turn your attention to the cross, to God's mercy. Hey, yours, yours standing before God does not fluctuate based on how well you're doing as a mom. That's a finished work. You're accepted by God. You go be a godly mom motivated by that love God's already shown you. Not trying to earn it, but being a godly mom who's working from it. Shoot. Some of you feel like you failed as moms. And you need to remember again that Jesus saves us from our sin, and that includes failures in parenthood. Shuv. Some of your hearts are breaking because you have a child who is, who is wayward, who's a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. Shuv. Once again, like these parents did this morning, that child was given to you to be released back to God. In your heart, shuv. Once again, release them. Say, God, you've got to do the work in their heart that only you can do. For those of you grieving the loss, of your mom. It might have happened years ago. And yet this day is a day you remember her. But it's also a day that your heart breaks. Shoo. Mourning the loss of a child. Shoo. Turn to the God who knows how you feel. Who watched his son die. Who can, who can heal the wounds of the broken hearted. Alright church. Not a five tip sermon for moms this morning. A one-point application sermon for all of us to shove, to turn to God who is good, who is faithful, who's always working, who's gracious, who's merciful, who is with us, who is for us, who sent His Son to save us, who, who died on the cross in our place, who rose again, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, who sent His Spirit so He can be with us to carry us through and who one day will come back and make all the wrongs right. One day will completely reverse the curse and one day deliver us once and for all from this broken world. Let that give you hope this morning. Let's pray.